The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. Love your neighbor. It's just a short little series we're doing to, uh, this week, or is it last week, this week, and next week? A few weeks on this. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts. If you've been with us before, we've been studying through the book of Acts. It's been so good. This, this huge emphasis on being a witness, and that, that is significant. We're going to continue on with that as we get into November. But, y- you know, even as we, we talk about being a witness, a, a huge part of our witness is, is living out the priorities that Jesus set before us. And if we remember, we talked about this last week, we remember uh, the greatest priority of God, what he just said the, defines the entire, sums up the entire uh, Old Testament is love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, everything else hangs on these two commands, love God and love people, love God and love your neighbor. And if we wanna be a good witness in the world that God has called us to, it, it depends largely on our ability to live out this principle of love. And so we're going we're gonna to continue looking at what does it mean to love your neighbor? Now, again, we, we got, kind of got the definition of neighbor last week. Jesus said, you know, some religious guy was like, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to figure out like, how can I limit this command? And Jesus said, well, it's anybody that you show mercy to. Who was the neighbor to the man who was in need? It was the one who showed him mercy. Okay, so was, we know who we're supposed to love, but um, maybe a better question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? How do we practically do this? Now, I would say that we're pretty good at defining what love isn't, right? Love, we, we all know it. Love is not just a bunch of emotions, right? It's not just about feelings. Love is not just about pretty words, though I'd, I'd encourage all that stuff in, in, in the midst of love, but it's more than just that. And so I, I wanna refer back to one of the great theologians of my upbringing, DC Talk, as they so eloquently, eloquently taught, eloquently taught my generation that love is a verb, right? Love is a verb. It's an action, which means it requires something of us, doesn't it? Love requires something of us. What does it require? What action? If love is an action, if love is not just a feeling and emotion, if love is an action and it requires something of us, what does it require? I would argue, and I think when we look at our text today, you're going to see this, love requires giving. In fact, I don't know if you can love without giving in some capacity. And so what do we, what do we give? What does that look like? Well, we give our resources. We give everything we've got. Now, I realize there's some of us who go like, I don't, I don't have much to give. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to give. I would argue that. In fact, I believe the story that Jesus told about this, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? I think we're gonna see three resources that we all have to give. When I wrote that, I was like, oh, that sounds like it's saying something other than what I'm trying to make it say. Three resources we all have to give. What I meant was three resources that we all possess that we're able to give. But then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna leave it the way it is because it's three resources that if we wanna live like Jesus, there are three resources that we all have to give. Like this is, this is the required of us. 
This is what is called of us. This is the definition that Jesus gave us of what it looks like to love our neighbor. So I want us to go back to the story. If, if you missed last week, uh, let me encourage you, you can go to our, our YouTube page. You can watch the entire service. You can go to any of your favorite podcast streaming um, sources. Look up Lincoln Crossroads Church. You can find the message there from last week. But um, I want to today, I want to zoom in on just like Good Samaritan, right? The priest, he came by and he walked by the, the beaten man on the other side of the road. The Levite, the church worker, he came by and he walked by on the other side of the road. But then in Luke chapter 10, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke chapter 10, it kind of zooms in, it slows down, and it takes some time on what it looks like when the Samaritan, this outsider, this, this, this one, there'd been a lot of uh, uh, racial and social conflict between these two groups of people. And this guy, this outsider, this less than, in the eyes of the Jews, shows up. And we're gonna take a look. Luke chapter 10, verse, we're gonna start in verse 33. We're gonna look at the behavior of the good Samaritan. Jesus said, if you're gonna love your neighbor, this is what it looks like. And what we see in here is three resources that we all have to give. The resources we're gonna look at are time, talent, and treasure. Okay, time, talent, and treasure. The reason we're calling them time, talent, and treasure is because, you know, before you graduate Bible school or preacher school, you have to be able to alliterate every single point that you ever try to make. So, so I'm borrowing one of the most frequently alliterated uh, messages there are. Time, talent, and treasure. But it's so, it's so rich. You've heard it before. I've heard it. If you haven't before, you haven't been in church very long. If you haven't heard it before, time, talent, and treasure. It sums up all that I have, all that we are, all that makes up who I am and that which I have to give. But look how it just jumps off the page here when we look at it from this perspective, the story of the good Samaritan. Samaritan, as he traveled, verse 33, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Why don't you look at the time? He went to him. This already, he already did more than the priest and the Levite did. He stopped what he was doing. See, the priest had somewhere to be. The Levite had somewhere to be. He was on a road that had nothing on it. They're just from one point to another. If he's making this journey, there is, he had an appointment. He had somewhere to be. He had something to do. So the priest and the Levite, they were, they were fixed on their thing they had to do. The thing that separated the good Samaritan is that he stopped. It took time. He went to him. He says, he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. And then listen, he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn, right? He could have just loved him and that he stopped. Hey man, are you okay? Man, are you still breathing? Okay, hey, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go up to the next town and I'll send somebody back for you. He already would have given time, but he, he went to the next level. He, he put him on his donkey and then he took time out of his schedule. He, he was gonna be late for something. He took time out of his schedule to go find a place that, could, that he, could, he could take care of him. And he brought him to this inn. It says, and he took care of him in, in verse 35, the next day. Okay, now, not only did he stop and he went out of his way to, to help him, gave more time, he stayed the night with the guy. Like this guy went above and beyond the call of duty. This is the next day. He took out two denarii, <clears throat> just some money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have time. Listen, here's the deal. It's easy to write a check, right? Well, actually, that kind of dates me. It's, uh, it's not easy to write a check. I don't even know where I'd find a check in my house, to be honest with you. It's easy to whip out Venmo, okay? It's, it's easy to, 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 to give money and then go on my day. But love means I give my 
precious time. You know, here's the, here's the bizarre thing, right? We all know this, we all recognize this, but we all have the same amount of time. You ever see those people who you're like, I have no idea how you accomplish all that you accomplish. You have the exact same amount of time as I, I do. And I can barely like keep myself alive for 24 hours. And you're like doing all, like, you ever, you ever know those people? And, and especially if it's not even just people who are like building themselves up and making a career, but like, how are you just like investing and make deposits and all these, how, how, how in the world? Here's, if you were to take a close look, if, if you compile a list, just in your own mind, maybe it could be like heroes in society, but maybe it's just somebody that you know personally, these people that you know that like, man, it's just like they give and give and give and give. And I don't even know how they continue to do it. If you were to take a close look at their lives, you know what you'd find? I, I, I believe that you would find the, the secret is not in what they do, but the secret is in what they don't do. The secret is what they don't do. Here's the deal, like time, unlike your treasure, unlike your resources where you can store that up for another day, time is one of those resources that it's like either you, you, you spend it or you lose it, right? You spend it and you lose it. Here's, here's the problem. So many of us don't have time to love our neighbor. It's not because we're spending it in the wrong places, but because we're losing it. And, and given today's society, given, you know, like media and phones and entertainment and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> it is easier to lose time than ever today, isn't it? Right? I mean, pre-internet and, and smartphones, like, like to find a task where you could just be like, whoa, where'd that last like two and a half hours go? Would be like a challenge. Now, there are a hundred things that we could do in this room right now and lose two and a half hours without even thinking about it, right? Like part of learning how to love your neighbor as yourself is not, we cannot generate more time, but we can stop the drain of losing our time without even thinking about it. Think about this, think about this. Listen, I'm not anti-media, I'm not anti-TV, like totally. I'm not anti-social media. Um, I use all that stuff, but just, just, just do this little experiment with me for a minute. Like if, if you took half of the time, take work out of it. I understand that that's a major part of a lot of people's work life, right? But if you take work out of it, your personal discretionary time, if you took half the amount of time that you were on social media or some kind of screen or television, some type of entertainment, half of it, and you were disciplined to find ways to love someone with that amount of time in a week, half of your entertainment time. Imagine the impact that you would have on the people around you. That's just half, I'm not saying get rid of it. Don't, don't burn your TV, unless God tells you to burn your TV, then burn your TV. But, but just think about it, what, what, what would happen, right? We, we, we would all look at, back up and look at society and we can make a, snap judges on society, like the way that, but then we're like, yeah, but I'm the exception to all of it. Yeah, but I just need to unwind for three hours at the end of every night. You probably don't. What would happen if we took half? Just chew on that for a little bit. Here's the deal. If we want to be people who actually love our neighbor, we have to be people who are willing to manage our time so that we have time to give, right? We have to be willing to take responsibility for it. So the first resource that we see in the story is that he took time. He took time. He went to him. He put him on his donkey. He brought him to an end. He spent the night with him. But it wasn't just the time that he gave. It wasn't just the time they gave. I, I want you to see something else. I want to look at the talent. So the first resource that we all have is time. Second one is talent. Listen to what it says. He went to him and it says he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It also says he took care of him. Like, well, how is that talent? This is just basic first aid, okay? 
This is he's, he's cleaning him up. Like, how is that town? Let me let me tell you. Because of uh, preachers like need to alliterate, we use the word talent. But let me expand it. Okay, let me expand it. When I say talent, I mean everything that makes up the intangible resources that we possess. Okay, I'm talking our abilities, our knowledge, our our, our physical capacities, our strengths, our personalities. Right? So what this could mean is that it could mean that your talents are being a, a preacher or a singer. Yeah, you love, these ones are easy ones, right? I'm going to preach and sing on stage at church and to the glory of God and to the love of other people. Okay, yeah, that's fine. But how about this one? How about, how about maybe your talents being an electrician? You're not going to get up on stage, although electricians did help us a lot on this stage. But, but your gift is an electrician. Guess what? You'll love your neighbors with your abilities that you've learned in order to be able to help people. You, you, you'll love people that way. Maybe, maybe your talent is, is less tangible. Maybe you give great hugs. I know somebody. I know somebody who, like their like, main thing, like you, you, you'd say this person's name and automatically you think of giant hugs. You're like, that's not a talent. Everybody knows how to hug somebody. Like, you can do that. But not everybody does. Part of our talents in this, in this context, part of this second resource when we talk about talent is, is what makes me me and what I have to give. I see in the world that people need love. And so I'm just going to break any kind of even like I'm refusing to accept someone else's awkward socialness. I'm going to just hug them because they need a hug. Guess what? That's part of your talent. It doesn't matter if hugging someone's hard or not. In fact, hugging someone is way harder than like than getting on stage and singing for some people, right? Maybe it's being an encourager. Just the way that you see people, you, there, there's this thing inside of you, like it's not, it's, and, and here's, what, here's what so many people do within the church life and, and, and that kind of deal. Like when we talk about these kind of talents, these, these intangible resources that we possess, so many people downplay the way that God has wired you as actually gifts to the church because you're like, well, God just tells, the Bible says we're supposed to do this, so we just do this. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't me, this isn't, this isn't talents, this isn't my abilities, this isn't me being able to be, this is just me doing what what I'm supposed to be doing. Everybody should be doing this. You are downplaying the way that God has created you to love the body of Christ. So it could be our passions. What are you passionate about? Lean into that, serve in that area. Maybe it's super specific. Maybe it's really broad, but, but God has wired each of us to see the brokenness of the world in a different way. And that's part of the beauty. Let's be careful not to be like, hey, the way that I view the world and the broken world and what the world needs more than anything else is this. And therefore, if you see it differently, then you're just wrong. No, this is the beauty of the church. God has wired each and every one of us and he's given us some things. Some of them are things that we've learned how to do, skills that we've learned. Some is just part of the innate way that God has wired us, some of the natural strength. Some it's just our personality. Some of it's our, our passions, but all these things make up this talent. This is a resource that you possess. And, and in our story of, of the Good Samaritan, he didn't, he didn't just spend his time and his treasure. No, he didn't just say, hey, like I'm gonna take this guy, so I'm gonna pay for it. No, he got down into his world. And that's where, our, where using our resources, using our resource of our talents goes into loving our neighbor. Like we can give somebody time and, 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 and give somebody some money, but are, are we making that personal investment into the lives of the people around us? 
Are, 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 are we leveraging the way God has made me in order to love others? So the first one is time. We love with our time. Second one is talent. We love with our talent. But the third one is treasure. Okay, same text. Let's look at it again. So it says, so he, he took care of the guy, found him, he brought him to the inn. And verse 35, the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Okay, so he paid so he paid for him to, to stay the night. Cool. And then this next statement, I, I love it. Jesus is like, just when you think you, you got to figure it out. Then he goes, and then look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any ex- extra expenses he, you may have. What? You, he didn't even know this guy. This is a complete stranger that he found on the side of the road, almost dead, beaten up. He's, he is the bad guy. He probably before he got beaten up would have said horrible derogatory terms about me. And yet I'm going to see him and I'm going to love him. And I'm going to take him to make sure he gets taken care of. And then I'm going to pay his bill. Open-ended. And Jesus says, you want to know how to love your neighbor? Spend the resources that you have on showing mercy to the people around you, right? Jesus asked the question, who was the neighbor to this man? He said, the one on whom, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. You know, I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's just a good reminder. Like if we're supposed to spend our, our resources on loving people, our time, our talent, our treasure on truly loving people. Here, here's one of the, the easy traps that we fall into today is that we want to invest our resources in people. And yet God has never called us to invest. The, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place in investing, but don't confuse that with love. If you need a return on your gift, it no longer is love. Because love is always no strings attached. If there are strings, it's an investment. And so here's what we tend to do. And it, and it comes, I think it comes from a good place a lot of times. I mean, if you keep digging down, it usually comes from a place of control. But I, I think mixed in with that desire for control is, is actually good motives. Like I want to invest in where there's going to be the most bang for the buck, right? I, I want to make the most bang for the buck. You know what? This, this, this just dawned on me. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day about, about what we do in Guatemala and how we, we do pastoral care for the pastors who are there. And uh, somebody made the comment. And I, under, I understand the comment. Man, like we, we've ministered about 22 pastors or so down there. The number's grown a little bit, but somewhere in the 20s, something pastors and churches there. And their, their statement was, man, that's so awesome because you're actually influencing X number of people. It's like in, influential. I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. That's really, that is, and it's true and it's cool. And we go invest in pastors and it invests in so many, but wouldn't it be okay if it was just 22? Does, does it need, does it need to have a return on investment? Right? I, I wonder, this is something I ponder from time to time. How many blind eyes did Jesus open in his lifetime that went on to lust sinfully? How many crippled hands did he make whole? that went on to steal? How many lame feet did he raise up that went on to take themselves to places they should never be? See, Jesus said love is not making an investment. It's showing mercy. You know, you know I hear that from time. Oh, I, 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 would, I would do X, Y, and Z. You know, the, the classic. 
Well, I'd give money to that homeless guy, but he's just going to go use it for, for booze. Uh, okay. But if God puts something in your heart, I don't care what he's going to use it for. If you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to give, to love, then you better do it because it might not be about him. It might be about you. God doesn't call us to give where we can guarantee a return on investment. He calls us to let go of our resource in the name of Christ. Loving your neighbor requires not only that we give our resources, but we let go of control of our resources once they're out of our fingertips. Are you willing to give your time? If your time, if there's no return on investment, are you willing to give your talent, who you are, your passions, your personality, all that you have? Are you willing to pour it in somewhere? And if it doesn't return the way you expect it to, it's okay because it's not about investing, it's about love. Are you willing to give your money, your material resources, even if there's no actual return? if the giving in and of itself was the purpose of the gift at all, to love. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. I could, I could wrap up. I could, I, I could expound on all those a little bit further. But listen, we understand this. I'm not preaching new, new stuff, okay? Maybe the investment is new. I, that rocked me a few, a couple years ago. But I get it. Time, talent, treasure, give my stuff, yada, yada, yada. Let's go love people, all right? Ready? On your marks, get set. Let's go love, Yeah. But I don't think the, the reason that we struggle isn't because we don't know we're, we're supposed to. Shoot, the world knows we're supposed to. You don't have to love God to know that we ought to be living for one another, right? This is not exclusively a God idea. I mean, it is a God idea. The world borrows from it. But yeah, we understand there's warm fuzzies that happen when we, when we bless other people and, and all that. Like the world gets that. Here, I guess the question, the, the place I wanna linger here for just a moment Is this is if Jesus said, like, this is it, like, this is what it's about loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself, which he defines then as dumping out your resources in a borderline careless way to show God's love to the people around you. If this is the defining characteristics of a Jesus follower, why is it that when we see like good Samaritan style actions, it still kind of feels like an anomaly? Shouldn't we, the church, like shouldn't this be like normal? Shouldn't like pulling over and, 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 and paying somebody's doctor bill as you drag them out of a car, should, why, why isn't that like a normal behavior? How come the above and beyond the next mile kind of giving isn't as normal? How come, why does it feel like, I understand I said feel, I don't have the tangible stats here, but why does it feel like priest and Levite responses are more common than good Samaritan responses? Like if we know it's right, and I believe it's more than just no, we know down here, don't we? We know right down in here in the depths of our knower that like I am called to love and I have a desire to love and I want to pour myself out. But the problem is I don't even have enough to get through the day, let alone leftover to give to anybody else. I 
And I'm, I'm reminded of this often. And it's really, it's really specific. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I know, I know that doesn't really sting too bad for most of us because we know, obviously, we all know that everybody that, that's obviously talking about people who have more resources than we do. Right? Rich people are always the people that have a little bit more than I have. And yet if you were to look at global standards, if you live in a house or an apartment, you're rich. I didn't say own. I said, if you have a place to lay your head at night, you're rich. So why do we struggle loving so much if we have resources, just an abundance everywhere? And we don't have any more time than anybody else, but our opportunity resources are everywhere. Our talents, we don't have any more talent, but we have access to things that are just, I mean, anything we want is at our fingertips. We are rich with resources. Our material resources, well, like I said, if we got a place to live, we got a place to, I mean, we've got what we need. If we got a car, we are way up there in the top percentile. We got a couple of them, whoo, baby. Filthy rich in global standards. So why do we have such a hard time? Like if, if we, ha- shouldn't the people with the most resources have the easiest time giving their resources? It makes sense, right? Here's the deal. Like, so often we live our lives in this way where like we, we just, we, we, we go and we go and it feels like I have nothing left. Um, <laughs> one of Beth's, and we say this kind of comically, um, Beth goes and so hard. She's such an awesome wife and mom and, 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 and leader and all the stuff that she does. But uh, she's, we got this thing like, I, she, she runs hard and until she's done. And that's usually about 8.30 at night, sometimes earlier. And then the phrase that she says all the time, I've got nothing left to give. I've got, I've got nothing. And, that, and that's cue for me. They're like, all right, I got everything else. I got parenting. I got, she carries the bulk of the load until 8.30 p.m. And then I jump in at 8.30 and bring her home. Um, but we oftentimes feel like that just all day long in life, right? I've got nothing left to give. Here's the our society operates today largely from, from a production consumption mentality. Okay. Here's the moment. We looked at this time, talent, treasure. We see how the good Samaritan gave it. Like I get that, but I want to take a moment with some application. Why do we struggle? I believe largely is just the, the oh, we, we got to understand where we live. We got to understand what's happening right now. We live primarily in a production consumption society. In other words, the the pressure on all of our resources, on our time, on our talent, on our treasure, the pressure from just normal life is that I am going to produce, 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 accomplish, 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 accomplish. All my time goes into producing and accomplishing, producing and accomplishing, because that's where I find my value. And then the moment the producing and, and, and accomplishing stops, now I get to live for me for a little bit. And now I just consume, 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 get up in the morning, start over, right? And, uh, and then we do it with our resources. 
all of my best goes to producing and producing and accomplishing and producing and accomplishing. All my best qualities go into producing and accomplishing and producing and accomplishing. And then once I'm drained, I just consume as much as I can, right? My finances, I, I, I store up. I just produce and accomplish to store it up, to store it up, to store it up, store it up. I produce and I accomplish, I produce and I accomplish so that I can find some value so that I can have enough to consume at the end of the day. Like so much of our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure get consumed in the, the, the societal pressures of, of consumption and production. Love happens in the margins. Love happens in the margin. Have you ever noticed when you read a book, the Bible is actually funny, not as good of an illustration about this. Bible crams a lot of words on a page. But have you ever noticed, have you ever read a book where the author was deliberate and making really wide margins, big spaces, and like using word placement on a page really well? And you're like, oh, this is so easy to read. I can boil through it. it. It feels light and nice and easy, right? Have you ever you ever read a book like that? You're like, hey, this is refreshing. I like it. Why? Because there's something about margin that just, that, that frees up the spirit. Have you read like an old book before they did this as often where they did just like economy style, like they crammed as many page, words on a page as possible. The, 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 the spacing is so tight. It goes all the way to the edge, like the crease in the book, you have to press it down so you can see the read. The, you know what I'm talking about? Is there anything more stressful than reading a book written like that? I'm like, come on, there's gotta be a digital version of this somewhere. Like I can't, I can't even, I can't do it. See, our lives are kind of the same way. We try to cram as much as we possibly could. And I'm not saying because we're evil people, but we just kind of, we allow the pressure of society, of the world that we live in to kind of impact us in that way. And we fill life to the tippy top brim of all of it. And then when we're, we hear the words of Jesus, like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're like, are you kidding me? Right, you're just ready to, I can't. And he's like, no, 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 here's the deal. Take a breath. Every once in a while, breathe and back up and create some space. And that sounds great, doesn't it? But now you start thinking about your week and you're like, there's no space to create. I can't. So this is what I want to talk about. This is where I want to challenge us. Like time, talent, and treasure. If there's, if there's one aspect of that that's, that's new to you, you chew on that, you lean into that. But I want, I want to give us a few disciplines, a few habits. Habits is a much nicer word. We don't like the word discipline, do we? Some few habits that you have to work hard at and say no to other things in your life, disciplines, that are going to help us. Anybody want to love your neighbor like you love yourself? Anybody, anybody like, like, yes, I, I, I want to do it. Listen, are you willing to pay the price that it costs to live like Jesus? Like so much of our like living like Jesus mentality in the church sometimes is like don't sin, it's sin management. Hey, let me teach you how to live like Jesus. Stop cussing and stop sleeping around and, and stop cheating people and, 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 and stop whatever you wanna stop. Okay, yeah, stop sinning. If you're sinning, stop it, knock it off, okay? But that's like step one, okay? That's not like living like Jesus. That's like, that's like quit sabotaging yourself. That, that's what that is, okay? Now, who's ready to go to the next step? 
Jesus says love. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. I could give you the strongest pep talk where you leave all motivated, but if you don't make some changes, you will not love people well. Maybe that was too pointed. If I don't make some changes, I'm not gonna love people well. Okay, here's some practical, biblically based disciplines that if we will be willing to rearrange our lives around these things, we will find margin and the capacity to love. Listen, when the margin in our life decreases, our capacity for love decreases with it. Okay. Can you love tired? Yes. Can you love exhausted? Yes. Can you love when you're on your last straw? You can. That's why I said when the margin in your life decreases, your capacity. Not that you can't love, but your capacity for love is going to decrease. If you burn all of your resources on consumption and production, you just don't have anything left to give. And if love is about giving of your resources and you've burned them all on your own life, then it just makes sense. There's nothing left. There's nothing left in the, there's nothing left in reserve to be able to love one another. So I'm gonna give you three, I'm gonna give us three habits, three disciplines that are gonna help us create margin in our lives so that we can love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the first one. None of these are like, listen, they're not rocket science. The first one is one of the 10 commandments, Sabbath. First one is Sabbath. This is a weekly discipline. I know this, this, this Sabbath concept gets, gets called like Old Testament and Old Covenant. And it's, it's so interesting though, because it's like, it's almost like, you know, we say, I believe in the 10 commandments. Yeah, I, I believe the 10 commandments. But practically, most of us believe in the nine commandments and the one suggestion. Don't have any God. Don't make idols. My goodness. Don't kill people. Don't sleep with somebody else's wife. Like we can get behind all of those things. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yeah, I go to church. Well, that's not actually anything to do with that. Sabbath day is a day, one day out of a week where you don't work. It's not one day out of the week where you don't get paid. And here, here's, you want to you take the Sabbath concept to the next level. It's not one day out of the week you don't get paid. It's one day out of the week you don't work. Now, I realize some of you are like, that's not even possible, okay? I get it. Baby steps. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. If you work seven days a week, find out how you can take three hours of Sabbath where you can shut your brain off and respond to no work for a little bit. And then maybe work your way up to a half a day. See what you can do to rearrange your schedule, rearrange your life in order that you can get a full 24-hour period. Listen, that's not being legalistic. That's being biblical, Take a day out of your week and don't do work. It's in the Bible. It's for today. Work it. Because here's what's going to happen. I know this sounds, this sounds, I know I get it. That actually sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I can't get enough stuff done. And like, I can't do seven days worth of work in seven days. Now you're asking me to do seven days worth of work in six days? Nah, that's not. Let me ask you, have you ever practiced tithing? Talk to tithers. Talk to tithers, the, the, the principle of giving 10% of, of, of everything that you come in to, to your local spiritual authority, which is the, the, the church, local church. Uh, talk to them. I could almost guarantee you, anybody who's been tithing for any extended period of time will tell you, you can live better on 
than you can on 100. I don't understand it. I don't know why. It is a principle that God designed into the fabric of humanity. Sabbath is the exact same way. You can do more and better in six days than you can in seven. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but it's the way God designed our bodies. He created us. And here's the other thing. If you're like, I absolutely can't. If we actually believe that God created us, that he created the design for how humanity should work, then if you can't do everything that you have to do in six days, God wouldn't ask you to do more in a week than you can possibly do in a week. In other words, something you're doing, you're doing that God did not ask you to do. Identify that and just stop doing it. Because if you can create the space, here's what's gonna happen. Watch, this, this bleeds right into the next one. The first one is Sabbath. But what happens is it, it, is it, is it frees up, when we, when we practice this, it frees up our time in one way. You, now you have a one whole day to not worry about working and you can just love people. What it's also gonna do is it's gonna refresh your heart and reset your emotional capacities. It will re-energize you so that on the talent thing, how many of you know you're not your best self-tired? Anybody else? I ran into that a little bit. I, like I, 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 burn, I pushed too hard. I, just, I, I burned a little bit too fast this last week. And yesterday I even said to Beth, like I, had, I needed to speak it out loud so I could keep it all in check. I was like, I, I'm, right now I'm just feeling tired and easily irritable and I don't really want to engage with people and I don't want to do anything, right? Acknowledging that is probably a good idea. Leaning into that is, is unhealthy. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to choose better than that. But that also means... Okay, a little, you know, it's like your car dash light is going off. Like, oh, I should attend to that. I need, I, I need, a, I need a Sabbath pretty good this week. I need to rest pretty good. Because when I'm well rested, I'm my best self. My creative juices flow better. My thoughtfulness, when I'm, when I'm tired, I'm selfish. I don't know about you, I'm selfish. I rarely, when I'm super tired, think about how much rest you need or love you need. I think about taking care of me. And so when, when I practice the Sabbath, it's a built-in refresh day so that my talents are, can be used and given to their fullest potential. The second one is this, is sleep. And it, it's right alongside it. Now, this is like, you're actually preaching about sleep. I am preaching about sleep. Sabbath is the weekly discipline. Sleep is the daily discipline. I understand there are physical and medical issues that make people make it difficult for people to sleep and all that kind of stuff. But if you want the capacity to love well, put some, some specific intentional thought into how you can be better rested on a daily basis. If you're one of those people like, oh, I just don't sleep well, but you regularly fall asleep and nap at five o'clock in the evening, well, there's probably part of the problem. Are you willing to go this far? Are you willing to say, I'm gonna not eat sugar and caffeine afternoon so that I can sleep well? Why are we preaching about this? Because if you can figure out how to sleep well, do whatever it takes, you will wake up in the morning with a greater capacity to love. And isn't that how we wanna arrange our lives? Some of the most spiritual things that we can do is take care of our physical bodies so that we are in the right mindset to be able to receive from God and love the people in our lives. Sabbath, it's a weekly discipline. It's a weekly habit. It's worth the effort to get there. Sleep, it's a daily habit. Don't overlook it and minimize it. See, listen, production and consumption fights this concept. 
Production says, burn the candle at both ends. Consumption says, as long as I'm, I need some me time, even if it costs me all my sleep at night. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Goes on to say, you will find rest for your souls. Listen, I realize that ultimately soul rest is found in Christ, but the first step to rest, soul rest, is like physical rest. So take those practical steps. And if you're like, I can't figure it out, do whatever it takes. Be willing to discipline. And re- maybe, maybe you have to cut all screens off two hours before bedtime. Let me ask you, is it worth it to replenish your, your, your energy level so that you can love well? Is it, is it worth it? Shut off the extra stimulant. You do whatever you can, it's significant. And then here's the third one, third discipline. This is like monthly or bi-monthly or honestly, however often you get paid. And that is this, it's specific giving. Sabbath, sleep, and specific giving. I call it specific giving for this reason. I'll just give you an example from, from, from our life. Like, so the tithe is God's. I don't believe that's giving. I, I've not given until I've tithed. I, we, we, we give 10% of everything we, we make. Both of us, it, it all goes to our spiritual covering. And then, and then, then we get to give, we have the opportunity to give after that. So for us, we, we, we believe in the missionaries, uh, part of Crossroads Church. So, so we give through the app and recurring and we've disciplined our giving to at the beginning of each month, we give X number of dollars to uh, some, specific minis- some specific missionaries. And if you would like to do that as well, basically what that means is we give certain, the church gives certain amount of money to our missionaries. And if you like were to designate which missionary you want to give to, like that is a bonus on top of that. And all, let me tell you, all of our missionaries are running on a very, very thin budget. So if you want to bless and love some of our missionaries, do that. Pick up one of our missions pamphlets back there. Pick who you want to give to. Bless, let's bless some people. That's disciplined. We don't miss that. Here's another thing that we, that we're, this is why I say specific giving. So Beth and I, well, never mind. I turned 40 this year. I'm not going to throw everybody under the bus here. And um, we'll scratch that out of the recording. <clears throat> And I turned 40 this year. And so we decided to have these 40 goals and we're you know, 40, walking and running 40 miles every month and reading 40 books in the course of the year, doing some different fun things. That one's together. We're doing some different fun things. One of them is we want to give $40 away every month. That's just something that we're doing. Now here's the deal. Our missions giving is specific giving. We've designated it. We've automated it. We made it and it happens every time. We're like several months behind in our, <laughs> in our year of 40 giving or we just randomly give. Do you, you know why? It's not because we don't want to give it. It's because we didn't discipline ourselves around it. So we, we got some makeup $40 gifts that we're going to be giving. And, and the reason I bring that up is this. Most of us think we're giving more than we really are until we discipline it. Most of us think we're giving more than we really are until we say, no, 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 here's something I'm going to give to, and I'm going to give X number of dollars every month. I'm going to give a certain percentage of this income. to. I, once, you, once you make it specific and you discipline your finances in that way, it is so fun to be able to love people through our financial giving. It's amazing. But if I don't discipline myself, it's probably not going to happen. Not because I don't want to, not because I'm loveless, but because I know life. So, Three practical disciplines, three practical habits. I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us with Sabbath. It's that weekly discipline of taking one day out of, out of seven. Sleep. It's a daily discipline. Guard it because you're better if you do. You're, you're freed up to love if you do. And then specific giving. Find those places that you want to give 
and then discipline, automate if you can, your finances around being able to love people in specific ways so that you can live the Good Samaritan life. Friends, it's one thing to come and talk principles. I love talking principles, but until we're willing to say, I'm going to arrange my life around the way God says to live, like it's just not gonna happen. Dallas Willard says that I've said it a number of times, this quote, I love it. He says, the disciple is one who intent on becoming like Christ, systematically and progressively arranges their life to that end. A disciple is not one who has warm fuzzies about God. The disciple is one who systematically and progressively, which means like maybe some of these things intimidate you. Maybe some of these things are like, whoa, 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 that, that, that's biting off way too much. That's fine. That's fine. Progressively, take a step. What step can you take? Uh, tithing 10% of everything? Are you kidding me? How about 1%? Start there. Take a step. Progressively. Let's arrange our lives around loving God and people and see, just see if maybe that good Samaritan kind of lifestyle may not be the anomaly any longer, but could it be that at Crossroads Church, good Samaritan lifestyle becomes the norm in our church community? God, we praise you and we love you because you have better things for us than we could plan for ourselves. So Lord, we humbly submit ourselves, our lives, the order of our lives, our priorities, all of it. We surrender it to you and say, God, you are it. What you say goes. And it's not just about feeling the feels, but God, I'm choosing to arrange my life around your word, around what you modeled, around your values of loving God and loving others. Father, we're yours. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.